Good morning. I'd like to start with an opening prayer in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O God, whose almighty power made this world and set us in it, help us to trust in you. Though our concerns may be small, they are part of your great plan and cannot escape your care. Let us trust you to provide what is necessary for us to fit into your design. We ask this in your holy name. Amen. This lesson is the precursor to last week's story of Rebecca. Today's readings tell the story of Abram and Sari and their people, the Hebrews, who are escaping from a hostile area. The narrative includes the story of Hagar, their Egyptian slave, who in turn will twice escape from the hostility of Sari. Abram's wife was Hebrew royalty. Her name, Sari, means princess. When we first meet her in the book of Genesis, we are told she is barren, and her husband, Abram, is 75 years old. The clan is being told by God to pack up and leave Haran in today's Turkey and go to Canaan, the area that is today's Lebanon, Syria, Jordan, and Israel. After some years of arduous travel with the extended families, the Hebrews arrived in Canaan, and God tells to Abram, Look to the north and the south, east and west, for I give all the land you see to you and your offspring forever. God also tells Abram that he will have countless descendants. At this reading, we wonder, does this news inspire doubt or excitement since Abram is an old man and we know Sarai is barren? Abram and his kinsmen are forced to wage war against the Amorites to gain control of the promised land. When they prevail, God again promises Abram to look to heaven and count the stars. So shall your offspring be. This time, Abram decides to place his complete trust in the Lord. We meet up with Sarai again. It has been 10 years that the Hebrews have been in Canaan. Although it was common for men in the ancient world to divorce wives who did not bear children, we discover that Abram has remained committed to Sarai and their marriage. But now, Sarai has a bad idea. She no longer trusts that the Lord will keep his promise to Abram regarding the countless descendants, so she takes the fulfillment of God's promise into her own hands. She has an Egyptian slave named Hagar. Hagar's name in Hebrew means stranger, foreigner, the other. Therein is a foreshadowing in the story of Hagar of the Jewish experience of being slaves, foreigners, and strangers. In the book of Deuteronomy, the Jews are told, you must lovingly treat the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. And in Leviticus, God orders his people for all time to have special care for the alien. You shall treat the alien who resides with you no differently than the natives born among you. Have the same love for him as for yourself, 
for you too were once aliens in the land of Egypt. It was common practice in these ancient times for a barren woman of status to offer her husband a surrogate to bear children for them. Those offspring were then legally considered to be the biological children of the wife. So Sari offers up Hagar to Abram. Now we have the predictable, emotionally fraught and complicated scenario in place. Sari's seemingly noble and selfless offer was irrational and poorly thought out. So seeing another woman, a slave at that, carrying Abram's child caused her reaction of anger and resentment. Consider Newton's third law of motion. For every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. Hagar, having submitted to debasement by an 86-year-old man on demand by his wife, was now pregnant with a child she would not even be permitted to keep. Her natural reaction is to feel superior to Sari and insolently make sure everyone knows it. She dishonors and humiliates Sari. This is an unpardonable offense to the wife of the family patriarch, Abram. It is reminiscent of the grief Peninnah brought on Hannah in Kathy's first lesson. Now again, predictably, Abram is caught in the middle of this contentious issue. He chooses to keep Sari happy, so he sides with her and allows Sari to take the role of Hagar's tormentor. Let us remember the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Before a person undertakes a mission requiring moral and spiritual discipline, that person actually needs to have that discipline. Sari did not, and she fell from a noble idea into the sin of cruelty. So, no surprise, suffering and tormented, Hagar runs away, leaving Sari with nothing but loss, and we hope, remorse. Into this drama steps a messenger from God who appears to Hagar. He directs her to return to Abram's household and submit to Sari's harsh treatment. He sweetens the deal for Hagar with God's promise that she will bear a son and her descendants will be too many to number. He tells her that her son is to be named Ishmael, the Hebrew word for God hears, because God has heard her plight. Hagar shows trust and obedience to the Lord and returns to Sarai. But first she addresses God himself, calling him El Roy, meaning God sees me. She is the only character in the Old Testament who gives a name to God. Historically, Ishmael is recognized as the father of Islam and of all the Arab nations. The messenger told Hagar he would be a wild man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. But Hagar seems untroubled by this, probably because she now has a renewed purpose to her life. She will bear a son who has an important destiny, and he will become the father of descendants without number. In this passage about Hagar, we are reminded that God cares about everyone Jews and non-Jews like Hagar, and all people are equal in God's eyes. 
Hagar gets status as Ishmael's mother for 14 years. We're not told how Sari copes, but since the child is considered to be hers, she's probably enjoying the boy. Because even in troubled families, babies always make things better. But Ishmael was conceived in a moment of failure of faith in the God of Abraham. And so he could not be the child of the promise. In chapter 17 of Genesis, God appears again to Abram and renews his promise to make Abram the father of nations. As a part of the covenant, God gives Abram a new name, Abraham, meaning father of many. Sari is now Sarah, meaning mother of princes, or in some translations, my princess, meaning she is now God's princess. A change of name in ancient times signifies an important event. When God changes both of their names, it is a sign that something major is about to happen. We know Simon became Peter, Jacob became Israel. In marriage, a woman traditionally changes her last name, signifying a new chapter in her life. Sarah is the only woman in the Torah to have a name change. She is a critical part in the creation of the Jewish people, and God has chosen her as the mother of the Israelites. We have a couple, a man aged 100 and a woman of 90 years. So when messengers of the Lord arrive to tell Abraham within Sarah's hearing that when they return in a year, Sarah will have borne a son, she laughs out loud, as who would not? But God heard her scoff and asked Abraham why she laughed. Sarah, in an act of self-preservation, lies and denies that she laughed. But while you might get away with lying to another person, you are never going to get away with lying to God. God addressed Sarah directly. You did laugh. God has the power as creator of all things to suspend the laws of nature. This is what a miracle is. Through divine intervention, Abraham and Sarah will indeed produce a miracle named Isaac, or in Hebrew, Yitzhak, the Hebrew word for laugh. Things are looking good for Sarah now. Her baby boy is thriving and her wish has been fulfilled. At the traditional time of a child's weaning, the proud parents have a party. This was because a baby's survival was never guaranteed, but living to the age of three was a sign of a healthy future. We can only guess at what a joyous time this was for Sarah, having the gift of a babe in arms after decades of waiting, then giving up hope, and finally being rewarded for her patience. Sarah is the party diva. She probably got a new dress and party shoes with sparkles. But Satan, always prowling about seeking the ruin of souls, slips into the celebration. Sarah notices 14-year-old Ishmael teasing her toddler Isaac, and a thought occurs to her. Ishmael is also Abraham's son and therefore heir to his father's fortune. Envy and greed enter Sarah's heart, and she has another bad idea involving Hagar. She demands that Abraham expel Hagar and her son into the desert. 
This is most certainly a death sentence. Abraham is distressed by this, but it gets worse for him when God himself tells Abraham to do Sarah's bidding. Is this God's way of saying happy wife, happy life? We may be shocked as well when we read this passage, but do not forget that God's ultimate purpose in this story is that only Isaac can carry out Abraham's mission. So God tells Abraham what Hagar already knows, that Ishmael will also have a nation of descendants. Abraham, under Sarah's watchful eye, gives Hagar meager provisions and sends her off with her son into the desert, trusting that God will provide for them. God hears our long-suffering Hagar crying from thirst and starvation in the desert. He sends a messenger to save them. The messenger reveals a well of fresh water, and they're saved. The Quran tells us that Hagar and Ishmael were saved at Mecca. The Hajj, the annual pilgrimage in Islam, is a retracing of Hagar's steps as she searched for water. Ishmael grows up strong and tellingly Hagar chooses an Egyptian wife for him. And this breaks the familial tie with the Hebrews. This is the last we hear of Hagar. But Sarah, in her final act as mean girl, has gotten her way and she settles in to raise her baby boy. So she thinks. Chapter 22 is the well-known story of Abraham's suffering through the agony of God's command to sacrifice the miracle child on an altar in the hills. Sarah is not mentioned in this chapter at all, but verse 3 tells us that they left early in the morning, a hint that Abraham secretly took the boy before his mother discovered what was happening. But they were gone for three days, so we can only imagine the mother's grief and worry and mistrust of Abraham's motives. Abruptly, in chapter 23, we are told that Sarah lived to be 127 years old and died in Hebron. Abraham had to travel from Beersheba to get to Hebron for the seven days of mourning, indicating that they were not living together when she died. Let us surmise that she never forgave Abraham for the near sacrifice of her precious child, and she went to live elsewhere. But this too has an important part in the story. Abraham purchased all the land surrounding Hebron from the Hittites, finally establishing his possession of the land God promised to him and his descendants. Within this promised land, Abraham laid Sarah, the mother of princes, to rest. Sarah's final act was one of cruelty seeking the banishment and harm to another person. Perhaps this is why Sarah is not heard from again, as she has caused her own demise in the narrative. Sarah's story is one of fear and doubt. On the other hand, Hagar represents people who are excluded, oppressed, and despised. She is at the mercy of Abraham and Sarah's whims. She is the first suffering servant named in the Bible. Hagar's final act is strikingly different from Sarah's. It is a motherly and redeeming act. 
Knowing God has promised that Ishmael will father a nation, she finds him a wife from among her own people, the Egyptians. The Torah is challenging us to never undervalue anyone, particularly the outsider, the other, because who knows the unique potential of each and every human being. This story teaches us about the temptations incident to status and position, the foolishness of hasty action in times of trial and difficulty, the care God takes of his lonely people, the divine purpose in everyone's life, no matter how obscure or friendless, and how God sometimes works his purpose through harshness. But it is not only a history of these protagonists, but also a story of today. We too are challenged to make manifest God's compassion. We too are reminded of the damage we cause when we wish harm to others. We too are reminded of the wells of possibilities that exist if we will only open our eyes. And we are reminded of God's love for all his children. I'll close with a prayer to the God of the possible. Father, miracle worker, we put our trust and our faith in you because we know that nothing is impossible with you. Just as you told Sarah about the coming birth of Isaac, we know you will make a way when there is no way. Father, you look out for your people and for that we praise you. You are the same God today as you were then. We believe in the power of your hand. We believe in your intervention. We cannot hear the non-believers. All we hear is you, our Father. And what harm can come to us when we walk with you? Amen.